0: Do you regard black magic as being purely fictitious, or is there some truth in it? Some truth. 100% truth. There is nothing fictitious about black magic, in any way whatever. It is a fact. It is a fact which has existed
1: for several thousand years.
0: Rebranded. So welcome to Meaning Studies. Why have we changed our name, Thomas?
1: Um, I think what Meaning Studies is is it's an attempt to separate ourselves from the banner of the left that uh, the ideas left kind of um portrayed. For while being all-encompassing in terms of content and scope, the name seem to infer an inherently left-wing bias, which while, Probably it, exists. Yeah, while it may be definitely present Shouldn't subsume our purpose as a whole And then we've been having a few conversations about meaning um, in general And I think we both agree that uh, Due to the death of, or at least the, the rapid decline of, Judeo-Christian religion There's somewhat of a meaning crisis um, A void that we ourselves believe uh, we can fill
0: We heard the call we uh we decided that we had to step up and do something you know yeah so we got our cloaks we got our capes we got our staffs
1: yeah because that's all that religion is at the end of the day isn't it <laughs>
0: <laughs> and suitably in this first episode we're talking about
1: magic dun dun dun
0: yeah not quite the type of magic that you might have heard of not the charlatan magic Yeah, we'll be keeping the Harry Potter references to a minimum. The type of magic that we're talking about is actually spelt (gasps) M-A-G-I-C-K.
1: Whoa. Or Um, even if you're being especially edgy, you can just spell it M-A-G-I-K. We don't like that. I actually had to think about the spelling there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, so do you have a definition for this
1: type of magic? I don't have a definition, Um, but luckily... Uh Alan Moore does. Oh but I think. Who feel is like, Alan Moore, by the way? Uh, I don't know. He's just an abstract name. <laughs> He's just a great guy. He's just a floating name. But I think um you've got to be wary when we're defining this that the definition, um it will be defined by essentially each practitioner of it separately. Yeah. Because it's the stress on individual meaning. But Alan Moore framed it beautifully, um, because he said that I believe that magic is art, and that art, whether it be writing, music, sculpture, or any other form, is literally magic. Art is, like magic, the science of manipulating symbols, words, or images to achieve changes in consciousness. The very language about magic seems to be talking as much about writing or art as it is about supernatural events. A grimoire, for example, the book of spells, is simply a fancy way of saying grammar, Indeed, to cast a spell is simply to spell, to manipulate words, to change people's consciousness. And I think the um the etymology of magic comes from the root word, which means to be able, and it shares that root with machine and mechanic. So in this instance, it's to be able to transmute and change the world in accordance with your um realised consciousness.
0: Yeah, and the man who... Uh... Sort of repopularized magic, sort of. <laughs> <I've> Pinched <laughs> my first um in the in the twentieth twentieth century, uh, was a man called Alistair Crowley, and he was uh, he decided to re-spell it, but to change the spelling slightly um, to reflect the archaic M A G I C K, which had previously uh, been used, and he uh, defined magic so similarly, not as sort of clearly or in an all-encompassing way, but he defined it as uh, the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. And so, um, bearing in mind these two definitions, it's kind of reflecting how the magic that we're talking about isn't the magic that you would have known or the preconceptions you have.
1: Yeah, I mean, Crowley's mission was essentially to kind of... um, He came up with this new dispensation for mankind to proclaim the liberty of the individual through the will uh independent of any kind of um archaic christian moral code because he was essentially just rebelling against his dad his entire life
0: <laughs> yeah he was referred to as the wickedest man in the world by the uh,
1: British press and his mother uh actually referred to him as the beast well I th- no, which he, he loved no he referred he to loved. he referred to himself yeah he used to refer to himself as the beast 666 but um, it, was, it was his mother first. He's a huge Iron Maiden fan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you might recognise him from uh, the introductory song, and he also actually appears on Sgt Pepper, the, uh, the cover. Really? He does. His face pops up amongst many. So in this episode, we're going to be making a case for this type of magic, and why, well, we should all be practising it. Premise 1. We cannot prove that reality exists. Now, this is both a completely obvious statement and a
1: completely mind-blowing one. Welcome to Philosophy 101.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Truly comprehend the validity of this statement would likely drive you insane. For in order to function in this world, we have to believe that it exists. But actually, uh, I could just easily quite easily shout to the rooftops about my belief that we are living in a computer simulation and that 2020 was some sort of bug in the grand machine and or you could say as well That's unlikely, but logically
1: you can't disprove it. It's perfectly possible I'll be unlikely. Yeah, I mean, uh in terms of understanding what we denote as the real we're kind of trapped in this ejaculatory cycle of material reverence and um scientific worship, and um, there is this mistaken idea that's so present uh, that I can empirically verify, using my senses, the material world existing exactly as I um, as I perceive it, when the reality, uh, almost kind of the scary reality, is that this real external universe um, isn't much more than the self-projected picture of it. I perceive symbols and sense data from the material world, these perceptions tend to group themselves into objects, and then I denote them as real. In
0: philosophy, this is known as solipsism, um, and it's the idea that only one's mind is sure to exist, so therefore the external world and other minds cannot be known and may not exist outside the mind. And this is a kind of dangerous idea, um, but also looked on as just a completely pointless one. Because it's like, okay, I can't prove you exist, so... Yeah. What do we do now?
1: Yeah, well, you can't really have a philosophical starting point as, I can't prove that you exist, because then everything else is meaningless after that.
0: But what we're saying is that this is actually really quite profound and important. Yeah. And we refer to it not to suggest that you should live your life doubting, well, everything, Mm. because you can, (laughs) but to correct... um, the or well, everyone's implicit assumption that we live in a normal functioning universe, mm. you don't. Yeah, you could be in the matrix right now. The universe is weird. Premise two reality can be distorted. Okay, so we've talked about how. Uh, We can't prove that reality exists, but it's also true that reality can be messed around with That reality is pretty weird and that the sense data and what we use to perceive the world around us Doesn't always work and an example of this firstly is distortion through psychedelics and uh, psychedelics in popular culture of um, sort of our idea of the hippie and The idea of breaking through is kind of has been ridiculed a lot, or then contrasted with the insane man in an asylum uh, who's on this sort of one long, eternally bad trip. In the history of psychedelics, they've actually long been used in shamanic traditions in the Americas, uh, in magical rituals and whatnot. And actually, recently, uh, research into depression and psychedelics have found that uh, they can have. really positive effect on changing our perceptions of reality and so these ideas of having revelations and epiphanies um, have actually that's been talked about in a rational
1: scientific sphere as well well i think um what psychedelics uh orchestrate um is the idea that uh reality um, like magic and like uh alan moore was getting at is a work of art more than a um, more than objective scientific truth it is uh, open to interpretation it is open to manipulation and um, the external world as we enjoy describing it is nothing but a picture a painting whose relation to reality is at best symbolic and approximate and two perceivers will never perceive that reality in exactly the same way
0: yeah and psychedelics so they distort reality through hallucinations and whatnot, um, but it must be noted they are a different distortion of reality um, in terms of how convincing it is uh, to um, mental illnesses like uh, psychosis and anxiety, in that the subject almost always can differentiate between the trip and everyday reality likely because of the awareness of them ingesting something before the trip. Mm. The Calm Clinic on Anxiety said that Anxiety disorders all produce their own distorted reality That it changes the way your mind processes information So that you experience the symptoms of fear When there is no fear around And as someone who has uh, suffered themselves from anxiety I I know for a fact that The visions and images and ideas and feelings that you get uh, Well, it feels so
1: real I mean, it's not that it feels so real It is real It's like Carl Jung said, your psychic world is essentially your material world. Yeah, and this is the
0: idea that it is a distorted reality that you're living in. Um, And psychosis is, I suppose, an even more scary example. Um, As during a period of psychosis, a person's thoughts and perceptions are disturbed, and the individual may have difficulty understanding what is real and what is not.
1: Yeah, well I went through a, I went through a stage of uh, having hallucinations um, really, really, really vivid and uh, terrifying hallucinations while I was working because I was working night shifts um, and I wasn't getting enough sleep and they, these hallucinations would follow me uh, into the daytime. I almost kind of, uh, I almost don't like the idea that they are a distorted reality in the sense that they are real. They're very much part of the fabric of my reality. So I think, I'd yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I like the idea that they are separate from reality because ultimately they subsume it.
0: Oh, no, I'm not arguing that they are. Um, I'm just using the uh, de- the description by um, the Calm Clinic
1: on anxiety. <laughs> and I think um, it's interesting... the angry um, email is going to be sent to the Calm Clinic.
0: <laughs> and it's interesting how... Um, in scientific sort of or psychological or supposedly rational uh, circles, they allude to these ideas um, Yeah, they allude to um, for example, mentioning distorted reality or um, I was reading the head of the psychedelic, psychedelic research centre at the Imperial College London, he was talking about revelations and epiphanies mm. um, but it's this idea that you're talking about it in this sort of rational sense and it's not at all um mentioning the
1: idea that we can't prove that reality exists and how weird reality actually is well while we're talking about um while we're talking about mental illness and uh, mental illness as kind of a distorter i think it's interesting to reference an idea that uh if you made it all the way through our last episode which um i can't imagine many people did uh i was harking on about the idea of depressive realism and it's a hypothesis uh In which the depressed persons are not depressed because they have a distorted or delusional view of reality, um, but because they have a more accurate perception of reality than people who are not depressed. The lack um, of serotonin, dopamine or psychic mechanisms inherent in the non-depressive essentially constitute uh, a lack of external crust, um, and this crust supposedly separates the non-depressive from the truth of existence. So it's like Freud himself pointed out that he said, um, depressed people have a keener eye for the truth than others who are not melancholic, and that we only wonder why a man has to be ill before he can be accessible to a truth of this kind. So I think that's a really interesting angle to look at, um, at least a a mental illness like depression, that instead um, instead of distorting reality, it offers a clearer perception of reality I mean I'm not sure I agree with this hypothesis because I think it's really dangerous in the way it romanticizes mental illness but uh, I think it's worth thinking about in this regard and you brought up uh, you mentioned
0: psychotherapy and there are some interesting allusions that can be made between psychotherapy and magical practice uh, with the idea of naming fears um, and the, the shadow uh, the subject shadow in psychotherapy You can easily compare that to the idea of summoning demons uh, in magical rituals.
1: Yeah, I mean, specifically, if you're talking about... um, I'm more familiar with Jungian psychotherapy, um, in which the aim of Jungian psychotherapy is to kind of fully realise your selfhood, self-realisation, and become truly who you are. And uh, this involves the integration of our shadow, um, the parts of ourselves shrouded in darkness that... We deliberately keep away from our eyes. Um, like Weird, There's a podcast called Weird Studies and they made a great allusion between um, the grimoire 15th century summoning of demons and the summoning of your own anxieties, depressions, giving them a name, talking to them and coming to terms with them. And when you actually think about it in the light of day, there's not a huge difference between between the, the, the practices. And
0: if we return to... So this ideas of a distorted reality, uh, not only in uh, forms of mental illness can you find it, but I think more, almost more harrowingly, or more, at least more scare, scarily, you can find this in cognitive biases. And a cognitive bias is a systemic pattern or deviation from norm or rationality of judgment. So they lead to what is broadly called irrationality. So the cognitive bias that we'd like to uh, focus on is called inattentional blindness. And this occurs when an individual fails to perceive um, an unexpected stimulus in plain sight purely as a result of lack of attention rather than any vision defects or deficits. The study that is sort of so interesting for uh, this cognitive bias is known as the famously known as the invisible gorilla. And in the study, the subjects watched video of groups of people playing with a basketball passing it about. And now they were instructed to focus on counting either the passes made by one of the teams or the type of passes they were making. And while they were watching the video, the researchers, they sent a uh, person dressed in a gorilla costume across the court, just walking across the court. And this was the uh, true motivation behind the study, and at the end They asked if anything out of the ordinary had taken place. And what's crazy was that 50% of the subjects did not report seeing the gorilla. So because of the focusing, because of the attention on the task that they were tasked with, the gorilla became invisible despite the fact that they were watching or watching that video. The argument. So, we've talked about these premises, um, and these form the backbone of the argument that we want to make, which is that magic is a way to shape reality,
1: to positively impact our lives. And uh, I think this is where we can clarify, um, or at least further clarify, the common misconception, um, at least in regard to our own personal understanding, whereby magic is so far away from this Harry Potter-esque stereotype. Um, What we want to stress is that its fundamentals are about transforming the self, mastering the self, and then using such mastery to enact physical change within the world as it exists to us.
0: And it's this idea of reframing uh, perception and looking at it with the idea that we each exist in our own universe so rather than just functioning in this in this one place that uh, we all perceive in the same way, actually we are like the gods of own universe uh, in the sense that we control how uh, we react to things and we control how we perceive people and the meanings that we create. Admittedly, um, for the vast majority of people, this is kind of outside of their control and you can actually reframe it like, most people are slaves to the, the sort of, I guess, the unconscious gods in their universe. But with this idea in mind, magic is about being able to master your universe and control how you feel, control your thoughts and control your perceptions.
1: Yeah, like Crowley himself said, that um, the goal of magic is to become aware of the divine aspect in man. Um, in fact, to Crowley, there is no God but man. We are to become our own gods and become the grand architects of um, and create our own universes. I mean, he believed, and I think I agree with him, that the unconsciousness contained um, the very essence of each human being, which he referred to as the true will. And by discovering um, this essence one would find the answers to man's basic existential questions. Who am I? And uh, more importantly, what is the purpose of life? And this rings back um, to meaning studies uh, and part of the reason for our rebrand because these two questions are so important and we're lacking, um, we're solely or we're fundamentally um, lacking answers in regard to them.
0: Also because you could, if you politically frame this idea, it could be seen as incredibly (laughs) right-wing. So, uh, Alistair Crowley has got a um, a great quote that every man and woman is a star. That is to say, every human being is intrinsically an independent individual with his own proper character and proper motion. But what we're exploring with this podcast is ideas that we, we really feel are just beyond... They're beyond left and right. I mean, Adorno,
1: Adorno, he wrote an essay criticising occultism for um, it returns man to the barbaric and the barbaric man is more prone to fascism than any other form of man. <laughs> but regardless
0: of these uh, political uh, connotations, I think uh, these ideas are, are really sort of transformative in this idea that every man and woman is a star. Um, he's saying that we are basically outside nature and able to transform it and manipulate it uh, in accordance with our will Um, and it's this idea that magic can't be externally tested because reality can't be externally tested so i can't turn this microphone into a frog for you but i can turn it into one for me feasibly through Mm -hmm. imagination or hallucination because reality doesn't exist in the way that we typically perceive it
1: I mean, I think the biggest hurdle for someone to um, get into and attempt to understand magical practice um, it's not necessarily the theory but it's the practice itself. It's the kind of the observation of the chanting um the grandeur the mysticism. but when you break it down, um, a cult ritual in actuality is nothing less than um, using a series of symbols um that attempts to awake these latent powers within the magician's own psyche and to focus the whole of his awareness towards one particular goal, um, that being self-actualization. Like, I quite like the idea of the magical use of symbols um, essentially being a literal example of how we generally understand and psychically process reality um, as a whole, as symbols serve as links between the limited comprehension of the mind and the limitlessness of that which cannot be seen, heard, touched, smelled, or tasted, the limitlessness of our powers within our own universe. Um, the magical symbols can be seen during ritual physically, but the symbols that are presented to us in everyday life um, are processed only psychically. Uh, there's this great quote, I think it's, Agrippa might have said it in the 15th century, I can't remember where it's from. But it's nothing is greater than what i can become and i think for me that's what magic and magical practice boils down to um that very quote and this is thing it's the power
0: in magic is its application to one's own life it's not to other people so it's in the shaping of, of our personal reality my reality that you're the that you're the center of for i can't even prove that any of you exist i can't prove that Uh, thomas exists (laughs) like um the magic can't be externally tested reality can't be externally tested so in our minds the power of our minds we can create things and we can do things and we can shape reality because the reality that we're actually existing in is an incredibly weird place anyway
1: Mm. i mean i think the key for me is uh the understanding that whether it's doubtful whether two people can come to exactly the same image of truth um, outside of perception um, as kind of a living metaphysic uh, I'll call it as is at its heart solely personal Um, it's a vision rather than an argument so criticisms of magic and magical practice uh, that come in with saying oh it's empirically unverifiable that's kind of the point. It's not meant to be this, uh, these ten commandments that everyone follows and everyone interprets in exactly the same way because ourselves are fundamentally different. And I actually think that's a major criticism of religious practice. That it's not catered to the self um, at all. And it kind of expects and wants to warp the, the selves into clones when realistically that's that's an impossible task.
0: Yeah, and the interesting uh thing with looking at this type of magic is this combination of the weird and the unweird, in the sense that uh, visualization and meditation are the co- uh, cause of magical practice and then you combine uh, these things that are basically have been, become quite absorbed into sort of the western world now and and demystified then you combine that with uh, the mystification like the rituals and the the chanting and the sigils and the sort of th- these other languages that create this mystical element to it and i think i think it's quite necessary that to have that kind of layer of mystique and opacity and you could argue that these ideas which aren't on their own sort of massively impactful with that packaging with that uh kind of using them that way they have a much more transformative effect.
1: Mm, well, I think the the element of mystique is um, I mean, the element of uh, mysticism within magic is essential because um, it's you're trying to explore uh, potentially the most complicated thing um, that one can possibly explore and that's one's own self uh, and the divinity or as Crowley put it, the divine aspect in man. And i don't think that the divine aspect in man can be described uh, in typical language there has to be these elaborate processes to to unveil it as it's its fundamentally complicated complicated nature
0: yeah it's just i think this idea of forgetting um forgetting what you previously know and what you previously sort of believed about rationality you oh, know that's yeah, that's rubbish. That that doesn't make sense. Of course, it has this explanation to it because reality is so strange. Yeah. Anyway, you can't even prove that anything ex- any of any of this reality that you live in exists. That should be like your buzz phrase. <laughs> I just like think Joe Rogan S. I I just think it's so <laughs> crazy uh, to to try and comprehend that. And then w- what we've talked about with these cognitive biases and the distortions of reality. Just just forget rationality in, the, in this in this sense it's this idea that there is weirdness in everything
1: yeah uh, in order to fully embrace this tradition you almost need to perch um, every intellectual thought you've ever had <laughs> really. but then also discover that a lot of
0: those um, thoughts and supposedly um, rational studies and texts they allude to a lot of the same things as magic and this is Uh, A study that I love um, that perfectly encapsulates this and it was a 2015 study that found that uh, brief mindfulness induction reduces inattentional blindness now on its own that doesn't sound like much at all and in the study the participants they just basically had to eat a raisin and they either had to mindfully eat it while (laughs) listening to a guided audio or they had a factual description Um, about the raisin while they were eating it. Now what they found was that the participants who completed the raisin eating task with the mindfulness audio had 41% greater chance of noticing an unexpected red cross that floated across the screen as part of this idea to test the inattentional blindness. Now if we apply this to the invisible gorilla it's quite illuminating because it's this idea that if the participants in that study, if they'd have meditated before, which I hope you recognize, as we've mentioned, is a core of magical practice, if they'd have meditated before, they'd be more, far more likely to have seen the gorilla. So, in essence, through the meditation, through the mindfulness, they were able to make this gorilla appear. Literally making something
1: appear. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, it's... it's uh It's it's really interesting when you frame it in the sense that magical, well, a core fundamental of magical practice um, has changed reality. It has literally conjured up something that wasn't previously there. And I think that harks back to a quote. Uh, Again, I'm just going to throw out a name, but I feel like I want to justify these men when I'm quoting them, uh, even though I have no idea who they are. But Arthur Clarke said, magic's just science that we don't understand yet. And I think this is a great example in that um you've got the whole third eye cliche, but literally something came from nothing due to magical practice. So
0: how different is that from me turning my microphone into a frog? Perhaps it's not a question of turning just seeing the microphone like frog that sits there. We'll see you in two weeks.